Welcome to You Heard Me Right, a podcast that brings people together through creativity, collaboration, and colorful conversation. I'm your host, Casey. On this episode, we experience the ways that artists are able to thoughtfully and gracefully reflect upon some pretty heavy societal realities. As a reminder, here's how the show works. We give a writer a theme, and they have two weeks to let that topic inspire a creative written response. That written piece is then given to two different audio artists who interpret the story using sound. After that, we all come together and discuss the creation process and the world we live in. The theme for today's episode is... Live which could have also technically been interpreted as live. We'll find out which direction our guest writer chose to explore right after this message. Coming to the stage first is our writer, Ebi. Hi, I'm Ebi Olabi. I am a Black woman. I am a director and collaborator here in Atlanta. Something that I always carry with me is a take you wherever you go, which is essentially talking about keeping keeping your essence and keeping what makes you you, even when you're going through experiences that can change you fundamentally. Um, I think it's very important as a creative person to uh, keep keep you, keep true to yourself. So um, that's my life philosophy right now. So when I was approached to uh, look at this topic, I did see that it, it said, I saw that it was like L-I-V-E. So I was like, okay, this can be live or this can be live. It made me think about both the performative aspect of being live and then living. And so that's why I chose the subject that I did. Evie's poem is entitled, Girls Just Want to Have. What's the ransom on a Black woman's continued life? What amount would make it right? Is it $12 million or the sum of the drywall and the crown mold accepting the hot metal missiles intended for another vessel? Would that suffice? Could we bargain if we stayed up all night to possibly be safe between the hours of 1 a.m. and midnight? Maybe then we wouldn't check twice before breathing and living in your vicinity. They proclaim our divinity while laying flowers at our performative graves. They put on a brave face and use grace to accept clout on our behalf. They wear shirts with one of our very last smiles and let the world know they plan to post a black square every Tuesday until you are aware. The price has not been set. Will somebody give us a ballpark? A going price for the life of a black woman? When she don't sing no more, is she still a human? Is there anything else that will appease those pursuing the dogged consumption of her existence? If words and marches and blood and gas and dark and glass and fear and pain and pleading is all in tumultuous vein, what could you gain to look and see a black woman for who she is without disdain or a consuming desire to improve your life at the cost of what price can a black woman pay to guarantee she will live? How much extra is it to be protected? With tax, could she keep her hair? With gratuity, could she love her skin? If you attach a premium, could she believe in herself without opposition? For just a few dollars more, could she be defended? If she pays yearly, could she keep her name off of T-shirts, seminars, college courses, shoes, Instagram captions, Twitter hashtags, thirst pics, Hulu documentaries, gentrification schemes, and the Internet's apathy? Will the currency of our protests rouse the interest of our self-proclaimed allies? Or will mimicking our cries help them claw into ledges composed of our beseeching hands? As it stands, Black women have insufficient funds to buy out the world. We cannot afford to buy our image back. 
We cannot afford to buy a piece of humanity and we cannot afford safety. The amount of money made by those who fight to own these parts of our life is a high that they will never forfeit. Money in infinite with no trails of regret. So we can't pay it yet. It's so interesting for me being Black in modern day America sometimes. It, it kind of feels like, like turning on the television and seeing Shonda Rhimes and Donald Glover and Ava DuVernay and saying to myself, wow, that could legit be me someday. But then changing to a different channel and seeing Brianna Taylor and Botham Jean and Elijah McClain and saying to myself, wow, that could legit be me someday. The duality is sometimes both fascinating and frightening. Speaking of duality, our two audio artists use their craft to respond to Ebi's poem from their unique perspectives. First up is Fuji. Hi, my name is Fuji Fujimoto, and I am a musician composer. My main instrument, as of the last many years, is electric bass. I started out on piano as a child and played trombone for maybe about 10 years through middle school, high school, and part of college. I think this was something I've been wanting to get out for a while, because all along, in, in watching the news things about this and all the the, the terrible things that have been coming out on social media about these deaths of, of young people, these unfair, wrong deaths. I've bottled up so much emotion, and I don't want to post on social media about it for fear of might I might say the wrong thing. That's where my fear lied, really, is what I would say or post about it. So music <laughs> is a much easier way for me to express myself. I'll say that. Fuji's musical response is entitled Soul Rising. coming to me after hearing Fuji's response is reverence. I love the thought of using art to not only create a sense of enjoyment for the listener, but to also pay deep respect in ways that are 
almost intangible. Okay, I could sit here and overthink this all day. Y'all need to go ahead and hear from our second audio artist, Chris. Hello, my name's Chris. Um, I'm a percussionist of about 20 plus years. Uh, I'm a composer of about five years and an arranger. And when I first received the piece, I was, um, I read it and I was immediately intimidated because I'm a, I'm a white male and it was very much about, for me, I wanted to really um, embody the piece of writing, but also um, bring charge to the, the deeper systemic issue that the writing was talking about and really translate that through the piece that I composed. And um, I wanted to submit myself and really try to invoke an emotional response that was charged by the writing. Chris's artistic response is untitled. The symbolism of Chris's composition being untitled is not lost upon me. There's just so much going on that seems almost impossible to try to even begin to define. (sighs) But fortunately, these three incredible artists are brave enough to dive into a discussion about all the challenges that we're facing and so much more right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. 
Welcome back. You have just heard all of the amazing artwork inspired by the theme Live Slash Live. All three of the guest artists met up for the first time at the Treehouse, a literal and figurative safe space in the comforts of nature. Hashtag pandemic production. <laughs> Enjoy the chat. Evie, Fuji, Chris. What a lovely day for a chat at the treehouse. Evie, you just heard all of the things now. What are all of your thoughts? It's uh, it's so interesting to hear, and and I will please hold me to this. I'm trying not to use interesting the whole time because there's there's better descriptive words, but um, that both of the pieces feel like the two sides of what I was feeling writing something like this. There's this. Um, uh, from Chris's piece, I feel like the the undercurrent of like the um, the the um, the disrest and and the kind of uncertainty that I was feeling a lot when I was when I was writing this piece, and then from Fuji's piece, there was this kind of um, like soaring wonder feel from it that that really was where I was pulling from because it's almost satirical in nature what I'm talking about, putting a price tag on, on you know, living and, and that sort of thing. Um, so it really did feel like two sides of uh, the coin for me. Um, and, and like there was the whole aspect of like strings in both, which I just felt was so appropriate for, um, for what the piece was portraying. Well, what I did was I read the first sentence of Evie's piece and then I put it down because I wasn't yet ready to sit down at the uh, workstation and make music yet but it it hit me like a ton of bricks I said oh man I've got to just be ready for this so when I was ready I read the rest and I agree that the the biggest thing that came up for me that I was trying to draw, draw out sonically was the dignity of this person who maybe perished in an unfair tragic fashion um all the while trying to address the dark part, but in the end, that little poof you hear in the middle of the piece, the to me was her spirit dispersing, but then coming back down to remind us that there is always dignity. Yeah, I would say, you know, when I first saw it, I, I said this earlier, but... um yeah, I was definitely intimidated. I wanted to do it justice, you know? I, I was like, dang, I'm this, like, white dude, and, like, I'm talking about civil unrest, and I, but I wanted to, you know, to me it was heavy. It was heavy, uh, but in the, in, this, in the middle of, like, the piece, I wanted to give this sense of um, affirmation, I guess, you know, like, affirmation in, like, okay, you're, you're like you said, it maybe satirical, and but it's also, it's... It's about injustice, you know? So I wanted to evoke that power in the beginning of like, just like a visceral response and um, like guttural, very guttural was the words I was using when we were recording it with the cellist um, and trying to really pull like that sense of like, this is something that's a deep rooted issue. Um, and it it's gonna take a lot of fixing you know, it's relearning. It's uh, it's bowing down before the injustice and accepting that and being and being like, okay, this is wrong, and I need to make a difference. I need to do something. I need to accept that, you know, America has been built on incorrect foundations and and has continued to mask and and cover up something, but also give a sense of like, okay, 
you know, we pound this injustice and then there's some form of, of justice that comes from processing and writing too, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's all a process. Uh, I really, but, I really appreciate both sides of like the process because it really, I think the thing that, that strikes me so much, like the reason that I, I chose Brianna Taylor is that we are the same age when mm-hmm. she, when she passed. Um, and what was, what was enraging me about, about her treatment on social media was her humanity was just being parceled out in right. these like funny gotcha quotes and like this, like, you know, merchandise and all this other oh. stuff. And I'm like, but what about Brianna? What right. about the actual yeah. person? Um, and so both pieces to me were so great in the way that they presented this multifaceted emotional journey with what I wrote. It really feels like they are the companion to what I wrote. So I thank you both. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Thank you. That thank was you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. If I might add a little bit, is that okay? Oh, I'm, I'm not even here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I just, yeah. About the social media part, mm-hmm. again, reading it on a, a paper, I print out, I like to print things out so I can feel them. It's like receiving a letter Mm-hmm. And deep within our society, I feel like we don't know each other anymore. And I felt that from the paper, the PDF, digitally, physical, whatever, way a thousand times more mm-hmm. than reading a post on, mm-hmm. uh, online. Because I knew it was from someone. I didn't know who yet. Mm-hmm. But it felt like a letter to me from, mm-hmm. now I'm in contact with this person. I'm involved. So it just hit me very hard in that way. It was pretty much a one-shot thing for me. I wanted it to be real and raw. Mm-hmm. And I have a strong tendency to want to decorate things and right. beef up. And, <laughs> and I didn't want it to become a musical project or a recital piece or something. I just want to let it be my feeling in music, bam, and then stop. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> so. Yeah, I would... I would um... I think it was about the same for me. I mean, this, this does come from a piece. Uh, I was, I'm working on a bigger piece called Silence of Sickness. Um, and wanting, you know, this was, it's not like a, I don't know. It's kind of thinking about an introduction to that. Um, thinking about, okay, well, you know, if I'm silent, yet I have privilege, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Um, how am I fighting? How am I, you know, breathing life into the areas that I can be supportive and also make a difference? Um, but yeah, it w- again, it was like a one shot. Like I, I did like I meditated on it. I put some stuff on the page and then took away because it was like, okay, a minute and thirty seconds. That is, that is not a lot of time. <laughs> and, you know, unless it's a pop song. But when you're writing a piece, you know, when you're composing a solo piece or an orchestrated piece, it's like, that's maybe just, you know the beginning like for 12 bars mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. so it's yeah like trying to get enough of the message across uh that i wanted to it's not a lot of time but, yeah when they're yeah. like 90 seconds i was like okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so i'll be honest that's kind of how i write even when i'm writing uh like uh, screenplays and things, I just have to just let it happen. Right. And then I, I can go back and be like, okay, you said this word three times, maybe not or something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, it's definitely like a flow of consciousness thing. Yeah. Um, and this piece was written right after Brianna's sentencing, which is why it talks about, I mean, um, I'm sorry, the uh, when they, they had the settlement and they right. said, oh, $12 million, mm-hmm. that's, that's enough for like a life that was taken and like all this. And it's just like, is that the price tag? Can we keep mm. living if we, if we can scrape together $12 million? So, um, 
it, that's how the piece came about. I was mm. just like, okay, let me let me just start writing about this. So, um, again, attached to the string idea, I kind of drew a, a musical reference from West Side Story, mm. and my one of my favorite parts is the end. The mm-hmm. end credits, if you've ever seen it, is really long. Mm. Bernstein wrote this beautiful segueing out of the tragic end uh, after the, the death of uh, Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the movie, you know, we, we get caught up in movies with these characters. Why did he have to die? Right. Why, did he, why? I want to do something about it. <laughs> but in real life, it yeah, again, it just becomes another media post. Go by, go by. You want to care, but oh, here's this deal on a car mm-hmm. and distractions so I kind I wanted to use in a musical sense his uh, technique of a very simple melancholy theme and somehow morph it into something greater um, maybe maybe even hopeful mm-hmm. that was what I was trying to do musically. I love that so it's expansive <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of things I, yeah. I do think there's a whole element of um, show and tell almost. Mm. I think um, like there was this great study that the Alliance Theater did through their education program showing how much more empathy the children had and how they were able to accurately describe their feelings all through um, arts education and the things that they were seeing on stage. Um, and I believe that there's so much, it's so much easier to explain something that has touched you emotionally than versus something that you just read on, on, mm. uh, on a screen or whatever. It's so much easier to be like, I felt like this when I heard X, Y, Z, or when I saw the, the, the flowers blooming or whatever, I knew that I felt X, Y, Z versus, you know, the disconnect of, um, you just, you just read something and you don't feel the same, the same, um, uh, bridge. So, yeah, I think it's, it's so, it's to us, I guess as artists, it's so hard to, uh, imagine a world where we don't know mm. how important art is. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I think from the outside view, especially with like, you know, arts funding has been cut. It's the first thing to get cut every single time. Um, it's something that I think you just have to experience to me. I think I could not, I could speak all day about how much I love art and how much I think it's important, but I think somebody has to experience that feeling. I think it's also about, um, placing more emphasis on vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes in society, Mm -hmm. vulnerability is not a good thing. It's, it's a weakness or it's, but at the same time, for an artist, it's a survival tool. Mm-hmm. For me, like without mm-hmm. art, I wouldn't be here. Like I literally know that in my darkest of times, being able to, even if it's not like playing a gig, it's processing as art as, with art as a medium, mm-hmm. you know, and using art to be vulnerable and to speak without words oftentimes. I think one of the privileges of being an artist of any type is to bring people together. Mm-hmm. And as musicians, Boy, when people dance, that's the validation. Mm. We love that. You're right. dancing. We, uh, I, what I'm doing is working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but this may be wishful thinking, but I, I had this vision while I was working on this too, was how it strongly communicated to me and drew me in like really nothing else would. Um, it's like, you know, you have arts programs in like even churches, right? Mm. Instead of all this division why not like two different types of churches and their arts departments get together and say, let's build something together, a a little drama skit around stuff Mm -hmm. like this so we can work it out Mm -hmm. so we can hear our, all the voices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is everyone afraid of? What's this one trying to say that we haven't heard? And let's see if we can bring our two congregations together. Absolutely. 
artists can make a bridge out of anything. Right. We can make a connection mm-hmm. out of anything. We can find a commonality. It's not even just the beauty. We can find the sadness. Sometimes we can find mm-hmm. any emotions that connect so many different um, subjects and bring them to a common place. And um, that's something that I think you learn from doing art, from appreciating art and consuming it. So. Yeah, and I think it's because you have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. How you mm-hmm. can't create—I mean, it's not you can't create art. I, I won't <laughs> say that, but good art is often understanding how to pull from the inside mm-hmm. what you're trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. But it comes from an experience. It comes from somewhere inside of you, and that's you have to be vulnerable and okay with, you know, exercising that. Um, it, it's like you know, we're around strangers. Mm-hmm. Do we want to be vulnerable? Do we want to be an open book? But when we're creating art, when we're creating music, when we're storytelling, whether you think you are or not, you are being vulnerable because you're listening, you're communicating through a common source. Mm-hmm. I might even assign myself a project like this mm. <laughs> right. just as an exercise to get out that feeling mm-hmm. in hopes of bringing people together. Love mm. that. Like, let's all make more art with strangers. Why not? <laughs> to the next episode of You Heard Me Right, where an actor, EDM artist, and eco-conscious designer study for a test that's really difficult to pass. We'll hear you later. You Heard Me Right is a Spotify Sound Up original series and was workshopped as part of the Sound Up Accelerator program at Spotify headquarters in New York City. From Could Be Pretty Cool Productions, this episode was produced and edited by Casey Willis with help from Cooper Skinner and Jacob McCoy. Mixing and sound design by Cooper Skinner. Our executive producers are Casey Willis, Cooper Skinner, and Lexi McKay. Our writer and story editor is Caroline Baxter, and our production accountant is Simone Brown. Special thanks to Greg at Listen Up Audio, Kanye Willis, Remy, and Bima. From Spotify, executive producers Gina Delvac, Baron Farmer, Natalie Taluk, and Jane Zumwalt. For more information about today's guest artists, visit us at herdrightpod.com or follow us on IG at herdrightpod. Thanks for listening.